every now and then a client comes to us and they want our opinion on how to do real estate investing, whether it's flipping a house or buying a house to rent it out. Um, you know, there's a lot to think about when you're trying to go down this line of investing. And so in order to get a better idea, we brought on Dave Seymour, who is the CEO of Freedom Venture Investments. He has also been on a TV show called Flipping Boston. Uh, and so he's going to give us some insight as to what he's seeing about real estate markets and also the real estate investment side. Yeah, I know uh, in the uh, in the past, I've had clients come to me and they were a part of what is called a real estate investment trust. And some have had very good experiences, love it. I've had other clients who uh, did not have such a good experience. But I, what I appreciated about this interview, uh, Merce, was that uh, Dave, he helped us to kind of get a little bit of a picture of what that means. And he, I love how he talked about there's a difference between active and passive real estate investment. Do you want to be an active uh, investor or a passive investor? And he breaks that down really, really nice. So I think everybody's going to really like this interview. Um, I would like to just uh, remind you, if you've not had a chance to do so, we uh, try to remind you of these things all the time. Uh, please, if you have not been able to do so, please give us a, a rating. Uh, there's two things you can do on your uh, iTunes in particular, is you can give us a rating and then write us a review. And they just really help us. We love to hear your feedback. We've had a lot of you who have written reviews, so we certainly do appreciate that. But also, we are financial advisors, and because of being financial advisors, we have to have a little disclosure. And so, Mercer is going to give you our little disclosure before we start the show. That's right. So, the information contained in this podcast is intended to provide general information only and not to be considered individualized advice. Obviously, different types of investments carry different levels of risk. Please contact your financial professional for advice appropriate for your situation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq. All right, everybody. We are glad to have you with us today on our podcast. And, uh, you know, we're always looking for, Merce and I, we're always looking for a variety of different things that we can bring to you so that you go, okay, I didn't even, I, I've heard about this thing. I've heard about this idea or this concept. How do I actually put it into, into action and how do I actually understand it? And so today we brought on a, a special guest, Dave Seymour. Dave is uh, an expert in real estate investing. And we're not talking about just going and buying, you know, a, a house, you know, and, and renting it out. We're talking about doing larger deals. How do you get involved in some of the larger real estate deals, even though you might only want to do a little piece into it, not invest in the whole aspect. And so we thought it would be great to get his perspective and, and how he uh, can explain all these things to us. So Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey guys, I appreciate you. Uh, let me share this space with you. It's all good. Thank you. 
Good. So, hey, Dave, could you just, uh, just to give us a little idea, can you just tell us maybe, you know, your background, how you got into this idea of real estate investing, and then uh, maybe where you're from, and just to get to give us a little bit of a background. Yeah, before we started, it was interesting. You said to me, where the heck are you from, man? Your accent's <laughs> kind of bizarre. Uh, I'm an immigrant to the States. I uh, came here in 86 uh, from London. Uh, but, um, you know, long story short, traveled around a little bit. I was I was definitely good at uh, getting a job. I worked as a firefighter and a paramedic for 16 years, just north of Boston, Mass, uh, serving the uh, serving the community. Absolutely love what I did. Worked construction on my days off. I'm that guy who's kind of like built everything from the ground up. Like I've I've got some expertise in real estate in all of the areas of it, and um, I wasn't very um, how can I say um, financially astute. Uh, many years ago, uh, I wasn't good at uh, at understanding capital, how it worked, you know, how to make it and keep it, how to grow it, and uh, I found myself forced into real estate from from the perspective of I had to do something different to take care of my family. To be very direct with you, and um, you know, I learned real estate from from other experts. Started as a what we call wholesaler in real estate, which is controlling the contract and passing on the the contract to another investor who had more capital. Uh, did that for a few years. Then I started the, the buy, fix and flip the, the silliness you see on some of the TV shows. It looks so easy on TV, doesn't it, gentlemen? You know, um, so it was funny. I was in I was in the firehouse watching one of those Saturday afternoon buy, fix and flip TV shows. And I jokingly said to the guys I was working with, I said, I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to I'm going to be a TV guy. I'm going to flip a house. And obviously my my peers made fun of me. But it was interesting. Once I went for uh, real estate investing with Vengeance, um, I very quickly learned that um, you get recognized for performance, you know, in any business. Um, I worked alongside Damon John, the gentleman from Shark Tank. I did some training and education with him. And he said one time, you know, the big boys are always watching you. And my track record as a buy, fix and flip investor was, was noticed. And I found myself on a national TV show. We did Flipping Boston, um, which was on A&E Network from you know, about 2012 to 2016, 17. But all the way while I was doing that, guys, I was always buying and holding real estate because true wealth, as we know, is created through assets. You know, if you buy, fix and flip a house, it's just a job. You got to put the time in. And it's the same with with wholesaling. So that's that was my journey in a, in a you know, in a shorter version. Um, had some challenges along the way, taking my lumps and bumps. You know, I've learned through through implementation what works and what doesn't um, and uh, been able to grow a uh, pretty substantial track record and more importantly a really great team around me so yeah that's 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 kind of like the short version if you will yeah dave thanks for sharing that you know from from firefighter paramedic to tv personality to yeah. now ceo of um, freedom venture investments and that's that's quite the pathway that you've carved for yourself and congrats on all of that thanks man thanks man um, so so obviously you know you've got you're, you've got a good pulse on the markets right now, yeah. and specifically the real estate side of the world. And sure. I think you mentioned that you're in Florida. Um, so what are you seeing right now as far as the state of the market? I know a lot of people talk about, you know, uh, with rates as low as they are right now, sure. lending has become easier. And it's, it's starting to remind people of 2008 and how all of that was just so easy to do back then. Yeah. Obviously, there's new things in place to prevent anything like that. But what are you seeing right now in the markets? Look, it's it's such a it's such a, a, a um, an intense discussion, Murris, going on right now. It really is around real estate. Um, you know, COVID created a uh, a scenario and a landscape that none of us 
could ever have anticipated. I mean, the, the real entrepreneurs and successful people will be the ones that are looking over their shoulder 12 to 18 months from now, you know, uh, and, and being blessed for the decisions that they made. So in the short version, let's first of all talk about the, the residential single family marketplace. You know, nationwide statistics are showing us that there's a saturation of buyers and a reduction in inventory. Interest rates are at their lowest time ever. The Federal Reserve committed to not raising rates probably for another 24 months before they even look at that. What does that mean? It means that you can buy more house for less money. And unfortunately, the uneducated um, uh, American, and I mean it with respect, right? Uh, the uneducated American always wants to keep up with the Joneses, cars, boats, leather coats, biggest house, best house, et cetera, et cetera. So unfortunately, you know, um, families have found themselves in situations where we as investors talk about leverage and they're over leveraged. So then COVID comes along and what COVID says for us is don't worry about it. You know, the pain and the scars uh, nationwide and globally from, from 2008 are still there. And it's almost like we're picking at those scars again now. So the government says, well, forbearances are in place. Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay your mortgage. Well, that has a ripple effect. That means the Band-Aid is yet to be removed. The true pain is yet to be felt. So there, we anticipate as professional real estate investors an uptick in foreclosures, not like it was in 2008 because there's so much more in savings. There's so much more in liquidity in the marketplace to absorb some of that. But there's something like about 80 million homes are already in, in, in delinquency in the single family marketplace. Well, that's a lot of people. Some will be able to come current again, some won't. So that creates an opportunity. What is the opportunity? We see an increase in renters uh, coming into the marketplace. Um, a separation between people who own assets and people who rent property. I mean, it's just going to be a, a, a widening of that gap. Now, on the tenant side of that equation, uh, there's a moratorium. And the government has said, you don't have to pay your rent while we try and figure this craziness out. So what does that mean to us as investors who buy cash flowing assets? We look at those and we say, well, okay, just make sure that we buy assets based on their current cash flows. I'm not even looking at what we call a T12 or a 12 month look back. I'm looking at today's numbers and then we figure out our numbers going forward on the purchase side. So to answer your question more su succinct, it's volatile. If, if people are you know, guessing if people have not gone through a couple of market cycles in real estate to really bring the lessons of yesterday into today, then it can be a, it can be a dangerous landscape. Uh, but, we, you know, we consistently talk about, you know, you purchase somebody else's mistakes and, and our investors invest with us passively so they don't have to take those lumps and bumps. They don't have to revisit, you know, the pain of 2008, 9, 10. Uh, because we, we've got a track record to, to carry us through. So, you know, th there's a lot of opportunity, man. We invest where it makes sense with commercial real estate and the, and the marketplace. You know, I'm not buying in California. I'm not buying in Massachusetts. I mean, the Carolinas, love the Carolinas, right? Uh, good states where it makes sense. Texas, Florida, where business is appreciated and not, and not so, so much necessarily cursed. And again, I mean that respectfully. So I hope that that gives you like a little insight of how we look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So so now on that point, then, if you kind of, you know, describe it that way and say, OK, well, right now uh, we've got as we sit today in the in the individual housing market, 
you know, this idea that things are high. Uh, there's a lot of people now are able to say they can sell their house here in our market anyway, very rapid, very quickly. Yeah. I, I hear that across in, in other places too. So from your perspective, if, if, if an investor is saying, Hey, I wouldn't mind being a part of this idea of, of, of investing in real estate, how does what your, your approach through freedom venture investors investments, how does that differ then? Like, what am I, what am I doing differently there than I would if I were trying to do this on my own? Yeah. Fantastic question. Fantastic question. And here's, here's the perspective on it. You know, I I'm known as the guy from the TV show, flipping Boston, buy, fix and flip single family houses. That's where my reputation was stamped. Um, If you asked me to buy, fix and flip a single family house right now, I'd say, no, thank you because that's a long strategy, six, eight months, nine months. What is the marketplace in the single family residential market gonna look like six, nine, 10 months a year from now, um, as we're trying to, you know, pull pull back the bandaid from what COVID has created. So for me personally, I, I focus on one word and I scream it gentlemen from the mountaintops and that's cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. I want cash flow 30 days out after I make an investment. I want it quarterly after I make an investment. I want cash flow sooner rather than later. So rather than the um, strategy of you know a six-month, eight-month payday or a more aggressive return, a, 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 um, a higher risk tolerance, which single-family investing is, we like a, a um, lower risk tolerance. So what we do is, is in, in multifamily, And when I mean multifamily, I'm not talking about two units or four units. We purchase 40 to 150 unit apartment complexes in the Gulf Coast region of Florida. We buy them under a strategy, which is called core plus. And what that basically means, our underwriting parameters say core means it cash flows plus means there's an opportunity to increase the cash flow. If I increase net operating income by calculations of what what are called cap rates, I increase the value of the assets. So cash flow is king, we believe, in this marketplace. There is billions of dry powder sitting on the sidelines right now looking for investment opportunities, both at the retail investor level as well as some of the, you know, the larger institutional investors. So what we do is, is we look for those opportunities where we can, it, we call it repositioning of an apartment complex. And the way we reposition primarily is through bad management. Amateur investors who bought one of these things when it's easy to make money in real estate when everything's going up, right? Everybody's a, a genius when the market is going up. It's the real, the real value is what happens when we get a correction and things begin to, to level out. So we start looking at cash flow opportunities. So bad management, bad tenant um, uh, interactions. Um, not bringing the rents up to where they need to be, deferred maintenance on apartment complex. You don't have to rip everything brand new. We can go in and do a kitchen refurb in an apartment for $3,500 to $5,000 and still be able to increase rents. And tenants are saying, thank you for that. So we look at repositioning from a marketing standpoint. Does the asset have a bad name in the neighborhood? And then more importantly, we only our buy box is what we call it is very, very specific, man. I mean, I want what's called a B class asset, mean 1990 or newer. I want it in a B neighborhood. I'm not fighting for downtown um, MSA, you know, uh, uh, marketplace. We like the secondary and the tertiary markets. 
and we want to be where people are going to rent. So COVID, think about this for a second. 333,000 people have left New York City, potentially never to return. That was the last number that I, that I looked up in data. So where is the migration? So in the Gulf Coast region of Florida, it's still the number one retirement um, destination um, in the States. And for every one retiree creates four jobs. There's a mass migration to the Tampa, uh, Orlando markets. So that's where we are. So that's really the difference. We, we buy cash flow rather than wait for a larger opportunity uh, on the back end like you would if you were a single family investor. Does that, does that make sense, guys? Was that clear? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. And I think you said it a few times and Rain and I completely agree. And it, it falls into, I mean, our world as well in the financial planning world that cash flow yeah. is king. Uh, when you, when right. you, you know, in our world, uh, a lot of our clients, they spend 20, 30, 50 years building up these retirement assets. And yeah. at the end of the day, the dollar amount is great, but it's really about the cash flow coming out of those accounts to, to provide for your retirement. So we are completely yeah. in sync with that. Yeah. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to, it's not often we have a TV personality on here. So I'd like to kind of tap into uh, your knowledge because you had this show called Flipping Boston. And uh, I think you said it ran pretty successfully for a few years. So uh, every now and then we get a client uh, or someone that has this idea of getting into flipping houses or getting into the rental uh, business. And, you know, for Rain and I, that's just not something that we're really good about at talking about just because it's sure. not something we like to do. Um, sure. I think there are some headaches that really come with that. Uh, and you, you touched on some of it, but if you were to give out any tips that you yeah. have when it comes to flipping a house or buying a property as a rental, um, what would you say there to anyone that's just trying to do it themselves? Yeah, that you look, that's a great question as well. The first question to, to ask, you know, any of your clients, guys, say, hey, what do you know about real estate? Do you think this is a good idea? Um, the very, very first question is always this. Do you want to be passive or active? Okay, because an active real estate investor answers the phone at three o'clock in the morning when Barbie got stuck in the toilet. Okay, uh, <laughs> an active investor is, is chasing the contractor who didn't show up when you wrote him a check for $20,000 to do the refurb that they said they were going to do on the property. You know, an active investor deals with the liability that comes from owning real estate. Because as soon as somebody realizes you own real estate, there's a target on your back. What does your asset protection structure look like? Are you exposed? And you know, the, the, the TV world, as you call it, Murs, you know, it paints a, paints a very rosy picture. It's a reality TV show. And people need to remember the show component, right? It's gotta be, oh my God, the pipes burst. Let's go to a commercial break and fix the problem later. So, you know, in, in the real world, my advice always is always educate and don't speculate. Just because you know a realtor, it doesn't mean you're a real estate investor. Just because you know a contractor doesn't mean you're a real estate investor. Just because you got $3 million in liquidity doesn't mean that real estate investing is the right strategy for you if you're active. So if they say, yeah, I still want to be active and get the larger profits, then get yourself some solid education, mentorship, guidance. I would assume in your careers, there are guys that are, and, and women who are, you know, outperform other financial planners. And you would probably look to them for advice and guidance. What do you do? How do you do it? Right? So collaborate, don't compete. Um, that's, that's the best advice I give to the, to the active investors. 
And then if that deters them and they say, okay, but I still want the rewards that real estate investing offers, I want those, you know, those projected targeted double digit type returns that I hear about on the whisper on the wind, you know, then I say, well, buy somebody else's expertise. You know, I've already been there, done that. You know, I've got the, the scars, if you will. So a lot of investors say, okay, I like the idea of passive investments instead, cash flow and quarterly distributions. So, you know, that's, that's really the first question. Do you want to be active or passive? And then they make their decisions from there, depending on their time commitment, their capital commitment, and their relationships. I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. Does that make sense? Yep, yeah. absolutely. So now I, you know, from your structure and, and we've had, you know, we got plenty of clients that have been a part of a couple different ways you can be a part of what is called a real estate investment trust. You yeah. can do it over on the on the public market where you actually trade it like a stock, and then you can do what are called private REITs or private real estate investment trust. Yeah. And from what I understand, yours is uh, more on the private side. It's not uh, traded on the stock market side. Yeah. So could you give us a picture of how that works, what that infrastructure looks like? And then I got some, a couple, just a couple of quick follow-up questions based on some of our experiences, just yeah. so you can help us think it through. Yeah, sure. First of all, we, we have to be SEC uh, compliant. We need to apply to the SEC uh, to create a fund. So we run a, a hundred million dollars is the raise and it's a private equity fund. It's called a 506C Regulation D fund. It means that we have to jump through hoops, um, not as intense as the, uh, as the education that you guys take, Series 6, 7, you know, CFP, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but once we've established that, that credibility with the SEC, we then have the ability to raise capital for a fund. So I think what's important is to understand is that, you know, our investors really invest in us as individuals, right? They invest in our track record, um, our skill sets, our verticals, our ability to execute on our business plan. So if, if they do their due diligence on us, the first thing is, is we only work with accredited investors. And as you guys know, an accredited investor is determined by the SEC as an individual earning $200,000 a, a year or more family unit at 300 or a million dollars in net worth. The SEC says that because it's outside of the publicly traded environment, it's an alternative investment. Therefore, they believe the uh, sophistication of the investor is higher based on, their, based on their, their earning capacity. That always makes me smile because I know some, some people with money who, who just basically ain't that smart. You know what I mean? But anyway, <laughs> uh, and I'm, again, I, I, I like to bust chops, but I'm respectful at the same time. Um, so if an investor looks at us, the first thing they would do is, is spend some time on our website, get, get educated, get familiar with who we are, and then just open up an account. It's kind of like a trading account. There's no money that's moved, but that account then allows them access to what's called a PPM. And you can only see the PPM if you can prove that you're an accredited investor. 
So that, that's the first thing I'll tell you as a warning sign uh, for your clients, gentlemen, is if somebody's prepared to send a PPM right out of the gate before doing any due diligence on the potential investor, they're already breaking the rules. I need to verify that my investors are accredited before they can even look at the PPM. And the PPM, for want of a better term, is the business plan. So our investment with our investment, our investors is a, at the minimum is $100,000. And it's what's called a blind pool. We raise that capital and then we buy as many assets as we can that meet the buying criteria of our buy box. So they buy shares in the management company and then the management company manages the assets inside. Uh, we work on a, on a return structure, which is highlighted inside the PPM. Um, but it is aggressive. It's kind of interesting in raising capital. You start, you know, I live in the world of, of, of high returns. It's, it's just what I've learned, right? And um, it's interesting that investors look at, at the, the return prospectus and they kind of go, what? Really? Um, and it's, I've almost said to my guys, we're going to reduce the prospectus. <laughs> we're going to reduce the projected returns uh, to, 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 you know, show folks what it is that we do. But anyway, um, they invest alongside us. We invest um, with, with, the, uh, with the fund ourselves. And the structure is this. It's um, what we call a, a, a six and two. So the investors take in the first 6% of a preferred return, and then they share in the upside after 6% in profit in a, in a quarterly distribution or cash on cash return. And then they go into a 75-25 with us. So we as managers... The better we are at our job, the more money everybody makes on the fund and the single assets, if we do single assets. Um, and then we, we, it's illiquid. It's not like the stock market where you go, oh, my God, I'm going to sell. Oh, my God, I'm going to buy. Oh, my, you know, you can't do that with real estate. It's, it's, a, it's a longer investment. And I think the illiquidity, depending on how you look at it, we had this conversation before we started, you know, illiquidity, the inability to take money out once it's in is either a positive or a negative, depending on the DNA of the investor. You know what I mean? Um, if you're a knee-jerk investor, illiquidity is good for you because we work that money, right? It's a, it's a Clydesdale. The wealthy call commercial real estate multi, multifamily investing, they call it the, uh, that's where they park wealth. Put it there, let it work. Um, so it's an illiquid fund. Uh, the uh, anticipation for our investors is a five-year hold. We have a two-year extension that, as uh, GP, uh, the general partners of the fund, to extend two years. And the reason we have the extension in there, it's very simple. We're selling everything in five years if the market is right. And when we sell, we sell obviously at a profit, a targeted profit on where we purchase the assets because of the work we do on them over that five-year period of time. And then our investors, they share in the upside potential on the back end. So it's a debt and equity investment with us. And the equity split is the same as the, um, as the cash flow split of a 75-25 with the fund. Um, that's how we structure it. Um, some people get kind of creative in the what's called the waterfall of investing in commercial real estate. Like it, it can get kind of highfalutin and, and complicated. I, I said to our team when we put it together, gents, I want this nice and simple. I'm, I'm kind of like a blue collar guy in a white collar world. If I'm confused, I'm not interested. So let's keep it nice and simple and let folks make their own decisions from there 
uh, coming in. So that's that's how we work investor capital, and we look we look for their lazy money. You know, we identify lazy capital, and we say to them, you know, what do you think about this as an option? If it's a fit for you, then we can we can work capital with velocity. Is kind of kind of the discussions we have. So let me just kind of break that down for my own brain here, so I can we yeah. can vi- visualize it by just hearing it. Sure. If I put $100,000 in the investment, for example, yeah. I'm going to get cash flow starting in a month or so, right? Quarterly, quarterly Quarter- distributions, right. right? And then a return of capital, I should really kind of walk into something like this thinking I'm okay with my capital sitting in there for seven years. I understood five and two, but kind of have the yeah. mentality of yeah. seven years. Yeah, yeah. And the equity multiple is is something that an investor um, could pay attention to. And the equity multiple, because of the length of the investment, you know, we target out anywhere between a, a 2.4 to a 2.8 equity multiple. Uh, the rule of 72 saying, you know, your money's going to double um, a lot quicker in that environment than it would in, I don't know, T-bonds or whatever else is out there right now for an investor to look at. But yeah, that's, that's, that's a nice, succinct way of, of looking at it. And the reason we do quarterly distributions rating is, is it lowers our, our cost of doing business, right? Think about monthly distributions and having the team in place to do that. Well, that costs a little more capital. So if I pay less in all of that infrastructure piece on a, on a monthly distribution, then I can pay a better return on a quarterly distribution. Was our mindset behind that? All right, I got one more follow-up question and I'm gonna let Merce have the, the next couple questions. So, <laughs> all right, so in 2008, Going, I would say more along the lines of 2009, 2010, because it took a little while for it to take effect. We had a couple of scenarios where I saw that basically folks had put their money into a real estate investment trust. And when they did, the asset had fell in value because of, Mm -hmm. you know, you buy this property or these things in this, in this property that now weren't worth what the original investment was. So we didn't have that multiple, but it basically went down in value. So at this point, in order for the investor to get their money back out, unless they were willing to continue to hold for more and more years for that asset to come back, they were going to sell at a loss well past the normal hold period. So could you kind of give us like the sense of maybe what was learned from that experience? And then so that it would make an investor today go, well, okay, that was then, this is now, how do I reconcile that? Yeah, it's so interesting. Look, man, you guys understand the power of leverage, okay? Um, we um, compared our, you know, our capital stack uh, to, to the investments that didn't work out well in the past, okay? Uh, we never lost one dime of investor capital. We never returned one property back to the back to the banks. And we've been through a couple of, you know, corrections in our careers. And one of the reasons why, uh, you know, some fail and some don't is we never over leverage. Uh, when we buy an acquisition, we buy it at a 65% loan to value, meaning that we raise the, the 35% in investor capital. And what that does for us is our, our commitment to the bank is incredibly low. So think about this. The last, well, which one we're closing in a couple of weeks, the last, um, uh, capital stack we put together with that with our primary lender um, was at 2.89% for a commercial real estate loan, which is unheard of. It's absolutely unheard of. 
So if I'm, I've got a 65% position, no matter what the market does, you, you then double down on the fact that we buy at, a, at a, um, um, uh, the actual numbers, no pro formas. You don't reward uh, the, the inadequate investor uh, for, for not raising rents, for not taking care of the tenants, for not doing the work that needs to be done. So buying on the actual numbers, plus the capital stack being no, no more over leveraged than, than 65%, in essence, you know, we look at our investments as if we're in a 55% leverage position because we buy them so well. So when you look at those scenarios going forward, it makes us incredibly bullish. Now, we're a private equity group. I'm not that large conglomerate that's sitting out there in a publicly traded marketplace where the value of those REITs in 2008, they weren't valued on the underlying assets. They were actually valued on what the market was doing. And we know what happened to the market in 2008. So that's the huge difference there is the fact that everything we buy and the valuation we put on them is the actual assets inside the fund, you know, not what the market is determined uh, the valuation to be going forward. So again, we're, we're incredibly bullish on our business plan. Um, and in, the investors are, are, are reaping the rewards. You know, it's... Uh, it's a different world compared to what 2008-9 was, um, but the uh, just the you know the Federal Reserve is just screaming buy real estate. <laughs> yeah. uh, they, all, I almost feel like I'm laying on the beach and the banner is going by. You know when that banner goes by on the beach with the little sign behind it on the plane. You know buy real estate now. Interest rates are so low. Don't be you know. So that's uh, that's our perspective on it going forward. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks for that summation there. Um, I wanted to touch on, you mentioned illiquid, and I think oftentimes illiquid can have such a, a negative connotation in, in the financial yeah. investing world. But I mean, it would make sense to be very worried if someone had a million dollars and they're putting every penny of that million dollars and that's all they have into something that is illiquid. That would be very yeah, nerve wracking and yeah. probably a bad decision, right? But if someone yeah, is doing yeah. a piece of it, right? A piece of it, so take that million and putting a hundred thousand, well, now it's only 10% of your overall bucket. So, you know, I think there is a place in this world for having a, a portion of illiquid investments. I mean, we, we use them here and there every now and then too. So there is, there's a place there as long as it is structured properly, as long as it's um, allocated properly. Um, but so you, you've kind of talked about how, the, how this whole thing is structured. Obviously, there's got to be a lot of people that are helping you do all this due diligence to make sure you're buying the right properties, to make sure it's being managed properly and everything like that. So that you do in at the end of the day, get get your rentals and get that cash flow coming in the door that you can divvy out to all your investors. So what what yeah. makes up a good team? Because I know it's not yeah. just you. Yeah, look. There are, there are syndicators are what they're called. They're, they're, the guys and girls who go out and buy maybe, you know, a 250 unit apartment complex. They might be in California and buy it in the Carolinas. Well, once they've, they've acquired that thing, they then need to go out and hire property management. They then need to go out and hire, um, you know, uh, construction crews. They need to hire marketing teams. They need to Right, they got to go find a new insurance agent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They got to go out and find their, um, you know, their their capital stack first lien position bank that likes the deal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The the team is critical, and for us, we had no interest in building brand new teams everywhere across the country. You know, to be direct with you, Mo, one of the biggest advantages of the TV show 
was the, the immediate national recognition. So I've been very blessed to have the very best in my industry. When I call, they answer the phone. Hey, Dave, how can I help you? So our team specifically for our first fund is our, is our um, uh, Gulf Coast region of Florida team. So my acquisitions um, officer, um, one of the three GPs in the company, Walter, he's been down there for, for over a decade, uh, sorry, over, over a quarter of a century, 25 years plus in that marketplace. So we have our own verticals already built. So the team is property management number one. Your property manager will make or break the asset. Um, we walk every one of our assets ourselves. Walter drove three and a half hours you know, with his team um, to, to an acquisition that we're taking down a couple of weeks in, um, in um, uh, the Leesburg area. And you know, drove three and a half hours, walked all the doors in the unit, you know, walked the systems, got to meet the, 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 the tenants and the team, then drove three and a half hours back to, to Fort Myers. Um, so, you know, it takes work to put the feet on the street and to really touch the sticks and bricks rather than looking at them from a distance. You know, I talk a lot about this. I, I, I'm more in the financial world than the real estate world today. I, you know, I want to know who out there has Tesla stock, you know, and, and get on the phone with Elon Musk who has Tesla stock, who, who knows the guy that's running the, man, running the manufacturing plant, right? So for us, it's a very tangible process to have the right team and making sure that the investors have access to those team members. Us at the top of the, uh, of the company structure all the way down to, to asset managers. So asset managers, good construction teams, good marketing teams, social media teams, tenant retention teams, um, all of those pieces are, are absolutely critical to execute on the business plan of repositioning an asset. Excellent. Well, I tell you, you know, the time flies when you're talking about something that's interesting, Dave. And, yeah, look at that, and, right? And uh, so, you know, you've you've given us a nice perspective here. I, I would say this: what you've given us and our and our listeners is, hey, there's something here that if I did want to look into real estate investing, at least I got an idea of where I might be able to, how I might be able to think about it. But if, if, if people listening wanted to get more information about yeah. your structure, how to look at this and what to do, could you give us the direction on how to do that? Yeah. First of all, you know, my investors have to be educated, educated enough to know that they're making a, a, a decision, uh, you know, based on, on fundamentals. So if you went to our website, freedomventure.com. There's great education on there. I mean, it, it's so important to me that, that they understand everything that's going on prior to making any kind of financial commitment to, to our fund. Uh, I said to you guys before, again, before we, we started the podcast, I'm old school, baby. Call me, uh, 781-922-4418. You know, uh, I like to talk to, to, to our potential investors um, you know, so uh, I'm available. You could grab me on uh, LinkedIn, Dave Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. Um, if you are an accredited investor, just let us know. Tick that box, if you will. And then, to, you know, look over the uh, private placement memorandum. I, I do investor Zoom calls probably 20 times a week, um, bringing, bringing investors up to speed as to whether it's a good fit. And I, I'm very, very frank, gentlemen, when it comes to this stuff. I'll turn away capital if I don't believe it's a good fit. Um, you know, it's not about ego. It's about teamwork, 
right? I, I look at our investors as part of our team going forward. So I'm available, man. Uh, you know, I'm not sitting in a, in a fancy office somewhere where I'm not uh, uh, reachable. Uh, I'm, I'm available. So uh, yeah, 781-922-4418 or reach out to us at freedomventure.com. And either way, just let me know that, uh, you know, hey, I, I listened to you on with, with Raiden and Murrah's those guys are cool, man. Let's <laughs> let's learn some more stuff, right? Let me know where you came from, so that I can uh, I can be reciprocal. Well, that all sounds great, Dave. Once again, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I know I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners are going to learn quite a bit too uh, when this airs. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, man. Appreciate you both. Thanks for your time, fellas. All right, everyone. That wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.